Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to call and equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make Him known. For more information, you can visit our website at cityofrefuge.org. So our text for today comes from James chapter 2, and I will be reading verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my wife and I have been attending here at City of Refuge since I think around 2005, 2006. And throughout that time, communion has been one of my favorite Sundays. Like I always love communion Sunday. I have loved the way COR does it and and having time to come up and, and pray together. Um, But I want to propose some changes for next month. Uh, So to help increase revenues, we are going to introduce a subscription service for our communion. Um, Over here, we are going to offer premium communion. And for premium communion, you will get to experience Ellen's wonderful fresh-baked bread. We will have the finest sparkling grape juice and maybe a nice cab served in crystal glasses. Here in the middle, we are going to have deluxe communion for those of a more modest means. And there you will get to experience the same great communion experience you have had up to this point. And then over at this station, we are going to have value communion, right? For those who are not able to give as much, we will have oyster crackers and whatever grape juice is left over from the previous month. Now, I hope you know I'm not serious about this. And it's funny, right? Because it parodies um, what is going on in our culture in so many different places, right? But I also hope that there's part of you that was like, ooh, to that idea. Right? There are so many problems with that idea, but one of the biggest problems has to do with what James is talking about here in James 2, 1 through 13, which is doing that would be an exercise in partiality, right? Partiality where we make distinctions and give preferences to particular groups of people based on some external characteristic. 
And the one he's going to focus a lot on, because there's a lot of different ways that we can show partiality between ourselves, basically any place where there is a distinction among us, there is opportunity for partiality. But the one James is going to focus on has to do with wealth, material possessions. And I hope that idea was a little offensive to you exactly for what we talked about earlier with regards to what this table symbolizes, right? This table, as we talked about, is in some ways the great equalizer, as was the cross, because all of us, regardless of our socioeconomic position, are sinners in need of a savior, and all of us, regardless of our education, regardless of our wealth, also as we come to faith in Jesus, become a part of the family of God and become heirs of the kingdom, this table represents something which is the fact that before the throne of God, all of us need Jesus and also all of us have been chosen by him and have a great inheritance. And that's why we're going to see James talk about that partiality is such an issue is because partiality violates what the cross was all about. So he says at the beginning, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Notice he uses that my brothers, and that seems to be the primary way that James talks to the church. He does this several times, even in this section where he addresses them as my brothers, right? This is familial language. He's emphasizing to them the fact that I'm writing to the family here. We are part of the family of God. And evidently, the family has some family issues they need to deal with, right? He's writing to the family that we need to address some family issues. And that family issue was that there was partiality taking place in the church. And he describes it this way. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So evidently what was going on is as people were coming in to service, they were sort of doing a little bit of a check over to see how they were dressed, right? And they had the reserved pews for the people that were seemed to be people of means and the people that were not, you know, you can go sit on the floor, right? There was this distinction being made based on the external appearance of how much wealth they had. Now, you don't see this as much today in terms of this particular way that partiality takes place. And thankfully, you also don't see subscription models of communion really taking place in churches either, right? This was sort of an extreme example of what it would look like if partiality started to take place in the church. But I think there are some more subtle ways that partiality can be in to take root in a church community. And so I wanted to list three ways that I think that this can happen. There's certainly others, but these are kind of three ones that I think are perhaps most tempting for us. The first one comes in selecting leaders. So every year as a church, we go through this process of nominating elders and deacons to help serve as the leaders of our church. Now the question is, what do we look to for determining who we nominate? 
right? Because the temptation is, is to look for the people who are quote unquote successful, right? The people who are well-educated, the people who have done well in business, the people who have a lot of wealth, who seem to be just successful people. Surely they would be the ones that would lead our church in order to be successful, right? Well, no, if you look at the biblical qualifications for elder and deacon, what you will not see in there is anything about business success. You're not going to see anything in there about how many degrees they have. You can have more degrees than Fahrenheit and still not be spiritually mature. Right? Spiritual maturity looks different, and it does not correlate with material success. And so I think this is a place where we just have to check our hearts when we're doing nominations and thinking about who are going to be our leaders to make sure that we are looking with spiritual eyes and not looking with the eyes of the world. A second one is another place of partiality. And this is, I think, churches and nonprofits can be susceptible to this, is that those who give more have more influence. And this can play out in subtle ways of like, well, we've got this big donor, we don't want to offend them because what happens if they walk, right? Like you can understand the logic behind it, but that is an exercise in partiality if the amount that you give changes how much influence you have in the church. Now, I want to be clear, I am not addressing any particular person or circumstance in saying this, okay? This is more as the somewhat freshly minted pastor of this church putting a flag in the ground around this issue. That giving does not buy you influence at the City of Refuge Church. Now, certainly, we want to hear from all of the congregation. All of the leadership wants to hear from the congregation but the weight that that is given is not based on giving because that would be an exercise in partiality. Amen? The last place I can think of where partiality can begin to take root in a community is in how we structure our events. And do we think about the fact that people are coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds? So for instance, it might sound really cool for us to do you know, a $500 per head retreat up in the woodlands. Like that could be a whole lot of fun. But that does not necessarily acknowledge the reality that by doing that, we are potentially excluding large numbers of our congregation. We are implicitly being partial towards those who have ability to pay to participate. And that is an exercise in partiality. And it's something just for us as we are serving each other, as we are creating events in the various ministries, to have an eye towards that to make sure we are not structuring things in a way that ends up being partial towards a particular group. So these are kind of three areas that I can see that partiality can take place in a, in a church community and perhaps more subtle ways than a communion subscription service. But why is it a problem? Why is partiality an issue? Well, James gives us two reasons here. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. So his first point is, is that God has chosen them. God has chosen people who are without means to be a part of his church. 
In fact, I think if you look historically, and even in today, the places where the gospel tends to be the most fruitful is not among the rich and the powerful and the famous. And God has chosen them. And what he says is, is that God has chosen them to be rich in faith and also to be heirs of the kingdom, right? They are set to inherit the kingdom. So what he's saying is, not only are you dishonoring them, but you're not seeing them correctly because you think they're poor. They're rich in faith. They're heirs of the kingdom. You need to take off those worldly glasses and start looking at them with the eyes that God sees them with, and these are the ones that he has chosen. So this is the first thing, is that you are not judging correctly because you are using the standards of the world and not using the standards of the kingdom. He goes on, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So evidently, in James's day, there were some of the wealthy in the city who were actively oppressing the church, trying to prevent the church, and they had the means to do it. And there was like they were blaspheming the name of Jesus. Now, I don't think that he is talking about the wealthy who were actually inside the church here, because from what we can tell, there was both rich and poor in the churches James was writing to. But I think his point is, if you're going to create this category of wealthy and give them preference, why would you do that when a majority of them are the ones that are blaspheming the name of Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Again, there seems to be this point of you are not looking with spiritual eyes. You're looking with worldly eyes. And if you look with spiritual eyes, the rich as a category is not something you should be giving preference to. It doesn't make any sense. You should be looking for those that are rich in faith, looking for those who are heirs in the kingdom. There's an illogicalness to what they're doing. And he goes on to sort of lay weight onto how important this is. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So, He's saying here, look, guys, this isn't optional. This isn't like just good advice for church communities. Like, no, if you are being partial, you're actually committing sin because you are violating the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And you remember this was a part of how Jesus summarized the law and sort of summarizes what it looks like for us to be people of love and people who follow God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you are being partial, you are not loving your neighbor as yourself. Unless still we think this is not a big deal, he goes on, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Right? So how many of you think murder is a big deal? How many of you think adultery is a big deal? Okay, he's saying, if you commit adultery, but you don't commit murder, right, that's not a good thing. If you commit murder, but you don't commit adultery, that's not a good thing. If you commit partiality, but you don't commit murder, you're still violating the same law. You are still transgressing the law of God. He's trying to give it like, this is the weight of this. 
it's a big deal to God that we are not partial towards one another. Lest you still think it's not a big deal. He goes on, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He reminds us of the fact that someday we are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the way we lived. And he says in that day that mercy is going to triumph over judgment. He's about to talk a lot about this idea that what true faith looks like is is faith that is demonstrated in our actions. Uh, We're going to be looking at that in our study next week. And true faith is merciful, so our actions should demonstrate mercy. Showing partiality does not demonstrate mercy. It does not demonstrate true faith. And so on that day, when we are giving an account to God, not that our works are going to somehow be what is the thing that we are judged by, but as we give an account to God, our works are going to be judged by God for whether they were good or right, not that they are salvific, but that they are evidence of our faith. And what he is saying here is that partiality is not consistent with true faith. So James puts a lot of emphasis on this. He's saying, look, if you don't like murder, you don't like adultery, you also shouldn't like partiality because God doesn't like it. Now I was thinking about what does this look like kind of more of a personal application. All right, we've talked about these ways that that can take place in community. But I think a place that we can look in our own walk is around the relationships that we have. Because I think the tendency is to build relationship with people that are like us. It's to, or build relationships with people who we perceive are movers and shakers, people who we perceive will help us in some aspect of our life. But in doing so, we may be actually acting in very partial ways, again, using the lenses of the world rather than the lenses of God when we think about who do we have relationship with. And so I think there's an encouragement here, not just in the ways we form our community, but also the relationships that we build that we should seek to be in Christian community with all kinds of different people. Rich and poor, all sorts of different ethnic groups, all sorts of different kinds of people, people who are not like us, that we should be careful to be judging with spiritual eyes and not with the eyes of the world. And I think that this is something for for those who are wealthy, I think there is a particular temptation here because it is possible to use your wealth to isolate yourself from others. Like you can structure your life in such a way and you have the means to structure your life in such a way that you do not encounter certain things that you do not want to encounter, whatever that may be. And so I think that there is also a, a, a particular need for those who are wealthy to make sure that we are that the, the wealthy are putting themselves in places where they are able to interact with all kinds of different people and build relationship there. And I think that's a way that there's a particular temptation for the wealthy to be partial. So, but I want to encourage everybody to be intentional about putting yourself in places where you can build relationship with those who are different than you. And in particular, Allah, what James is talking about here to not base those relationships on wealth. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory.
Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need, we need spiritual eyes to see. We need to be, just have our vision recalibrated towards the things that you care about and the way that you see people. Lord, help us to see with spiritual eyes. Help us to not be partial in the way we build relationships. And Lord, when it does show up in our lives, I pray that you would show it to us quickly and that we would walk in repentance of that knowing that this, too, is a place where we can find grace. Lord, help us to not be partial as a church or as individuals. We need your help in this. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. Brandon, can I ask you a question about this? Um, I guess I'm already doing it, so I should have, I should have seen this coming. You can't, and you can't say no because I've got a microphone. Um, all right, so are there places where favorite? And I'm not sure if this is the right word, but if favoritism or maybe honor. I think about some of the elder statesmen and women in our church or in society. Is it okay to to show some form of favoritism to them? Or, or it said last week, widows and orphans as well. How do we? How do we? How do we translate this question of favoritism into these different populations that, that the Bible does call us to, to operate differently around? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, I think that, that's, that there is a difference between partiality, which is where we are showing preference for a particular group, versus honor. Right? There is honor due to everyone within the church, but based on the nature of the relationship, that honor may look different. And part of, you know, part of what the church is supposed to do is to help meet people's needs. That is not showing partiality. That's walking in obedience to the commands of God and a way that we demonstrate honor towards those in the church that are in need. So I think that there's a distinction there. But that doesn't mean that the church is choosing one over the other. Fair enough. And then again, I, get, I, I keep thinking about how our culture has demeaned elders, uh, the aged, uh, again, not elders in terms of pastoral or, or church elders, but really older people. Is there a place for some higher honor for that population? Again, is that more like the widows and orphans, or is that help me help me think through how I then think about giving more honor to those folks who are who've gone before, who have you know sacrificed for us to be here, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean there definitely is biblical commands for us to honor those who are older in the church. But it's actually interesting that those commands always come with how you operate with people of a whole bunch of different ages, right? Mm -hmm. It's how do you show honor to these different groups, to all. right? And one of the things that you do is that those who are older in the church, you honor the fact that they have these life experiences and you do not you know, downplay the fact that they are old because that actually would be partiality if you are against those um, who are older because of their age.